Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to Living Color Abroad. I'm your host, Angel Rodriguez. And in this episode, you'll be listening to Landi, who is a psychologist living abroad. Landi has studied psychology globally across 18 different countries to be able to provide culturally contextual interventions for the population that she serves. In this episode, Landi takes us through her journey into becoming an international psychologist, why she's so passionate about helping others, some of the trends that she sees in her clients that are living abroad, and lastly, what you can do to improve your mental health while abroad. Hope you enjoy. This is A Living Color Abroad. Landi, welcome to In Living Color Abroad. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, it's funny, Landi, when you uh, put on Calendly to, to, um, to interview, you said it'll be on a Friday morning. I'm like, I work Friday morning. But then I checked the time difference. I'm like, oh, she's all the way out in Japan. Is that where you're at? Yes, that's where I am. Okay. I was like, wow. So uh, good morning. <laughs> Thank you. Where are you? I'm in New York, so this is a nice evening. It's okay. 7 p.m. right now. Okay, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's get right to it, Landi. Please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Um, so, yeah, I'm a rich, so I'm in Japan right now. I live here. I've been here just under two years. Um, but I will back all the way up. So I'm from California, originally from Southern California. Um, so grew up there until about, or grew up there. And then I went off to college in Northern California at Sonoma State University. Um, and so I was there for about two, two and a half years. Um, and then I spent one of my, well, actually my last semester there, um, I spent abroad. And so there was this program when I was in college called Semester at Sea. I'm not sure if it's around anymore, but I was just talking to someone recently and they said that they brand and they have a, they go um, through a different school institution. So it might still be a thing. Um, so I graduated college in three years. And then that last semester, I did a program called Semester at Sea where I um, spent four months on a cruise ship and traveled around the world wow. studying psychology. Um and that's kind of what really got me into the international like interest, at least, because that was that was really the first time I had ever been out the country. I um, I um, had traveled for like family reunions and, and you know, different mm-hmm. things like that. So that study abroad program is really what introduced me to the world. Got you. Wow. That's that's crazy. Semester I see is called you said, right? Yes, correct. It's a, it's a nice name. It has a nice ring to it, a nice alliteration there. Um, so let, before we even get to, you know, obviously going abroad and living abroad, because of course it's about you yeah. being an international psychologist, what made you want to do psychology? I've always wanted to be a psychologist, actually. So I did um, a TED Talk not too long ago, and it was talking about that component. So it was a TED Talk for youth, and so I was... Um, really like the goal was to inspire them. And so the story that I typically tell people when I get that question is in second grade, my um, childhood best friend, like I I was always, even as a kid, I was always the person that people would come to and just tell me (laughs) their childhood stories, like all of their intermost adolescent secrets. But um, this, my best friend, uh, she was like, hey, I have a secret for you. You can't tell anybody. And so she took me all the way to the other side of the playground and we went behind this big tree and she lifted up her dress and she had bruises all over her body from oh. where her dad physically abusing her. And um, her mom had recently passed away. Her dad was an alcoholic. Her dad was taking out his grief on her. And she was like, promise me you can't, you won't tell anybody. And so I was like, I, I can't not say anything. Um, and I think I pinky promised her and everything. And so, um, but I, I ended up going to the principal who just so happened to be a family friend. And I said, hey, you know, I was told not to tell, um, but you know, my friend, um, you know, this is what's going on with her. And they must have called her out of school that same day. And I think I'm guessing from what I know now as an adult, 
um, Child and Youth Protective Services came and got her, and I, I never saw her again after that. Um, but I still knew even then that um, I just like to help people. I like to help them through, you know, some of their problems, people and um, their behaviors and just different things. It has always been really interesting to me. But I just knew from I don't know how old you are in the second grade. I just knew that that's what I wanted to do. Wow. That is so I was just I mean, first of all, that is an incredible story. Um, you said you were in second grade, so you're about, you know, seven or eight, you know, give or take. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. looking back at that event now, obviously, you're an adult and you've obviously gone on to pursue this profession, but was that like traumatic for you in any way? Like someone, sh your friend showing you bruises? Uh yeah. Well, so that part wasn't that part wasn't traumatic for me. The trauma was never seeing her again, like because that was my best friend. So imagine wanting to go to school and tell my best friend, like, hey, my best friend's not here anymore. You know, it was one of that wow. like that weird duality of this is something that I would share with my best friend. And I can't because I I probably saved her in so many ways, um, at least from, I mean, I don't want to have the savior complex, but at least from, um, you know, being more, you know, physically abused, but she, I can only imagine even now as an adult, she probably felt betrayed because the little that I do know about that situation, her family was in Pennsylvania. We were living in California. So she, I believe if she didn't go into the system, she at least moved state. So that just kind of like disrupted her whole life. She had just lost her mother not too long ago. Um, so that piece, I would say, has been more traumatizing, even to the point that even now as an adult, I still look for her on social media, oh um, you know, you know, if I can find her. And I, I don't know if she's got married, if she's changed her name or, you know, anything like that. But ever since social media has become a thing, I've, I've incrementally looked for her. Londi, this is one of the craziest stories I've ever heard. And I'm not I'm not joking when I tell them I'm, I'm being serious. This is I'm like my mouth is a gape right now. Like this is wow. What a okay. So I have so many questions right now. I don't know how to keep moving. But okay, so you said the the tra traumatic part, as I can imagine like you said, is the fact that you never saw her again. And you right. know, how did you know though? I mean, how did you feel at seven years old that you had to tell someone? What was in you? Is that was that instilled by your by your family, by your parents? What made you feel at seven that and, and I know this is a thing that psychologists do, right? It's like obviously things are confidential right. unless you are you are at harm or someone is in imminent harm, right? Yeah, I don't know because I didn't have any introduction to, like, I'm sure in the second grade I didn't know what a psychologist was. I didn't know what a, a um, CYPS worker was or DCFS worker was. Um, but I just knew that I, I can say that I'm really blessed to have grown up in a loving family. Um, and so I've never experienced abuse and I've never, I like, I got spankings and I know that like now that's considered abuse, but I've never experienced anything from the bruises that she had shown me. I was like, that's not right because, and I'm just using my parents as mm -hmm, a rubric. Mm -hmm. And so I think if, if nothing else is just like, well, um, if my parents don't treat me like this and your parents, you know, shouldn't treat you like that either. And so I think that that's, you know, that's why I told, um, but I think when I tell my story about wanting to be a psychologist since the second grade, it almost feels like very purpose driven and an and an innate desire. Because like what you're saying, if I was seven years old and hadn't hadn't been exposed to this, and how did I know to do this if not purpose for this lifestyle? Mm. Purpose for this. Man, that's deep right there. That's really deep. All right, let's. We, we, I mean, I can stay out here for an hour, but we gotta, we gotta, we gotta push it forward. So that was an obviously an, a, a crazy experience that you that you had at seven years old. That you know, you said purposeful, right? That was it. Might have been meant for you, right, to pursue this a career. So you said you had this semester at sea, right? What made you when you, I mean, take us a little bit through what it takes to be a psychologist. So you have to, you know, go to school, right, obviously. Uh, and then mm -hmm. at what point the, can you determine for yourself that, hey, I don't want to do this domestically. I want to do this internationally. Tell me through that. How did that exactly happen? Sure. So I, um, let's see. So I did semester at sea and it was nice. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed, um, like learning about different cultures from a psychological lens. And then I think I put that on the shelf. I knew that I was going to always want to travel, 
but I, it wasn't then that I decided to, that I knew that I wanted to um, pursue a life overseas. It wasn't until, so, um, so I did semester SC, I took a year off and then I went back for my master's degree. So my master's is in social work and I did that at the University of Southern California. And so when I was there, I studied abroad again. And so like, because I knew then after uh, studying abroad, at the master's level, I knew then that I wanted to live in Europe. And Europe just seemed, at least England rather, the United Kingdom just seemed easy because they speak English. And so I'm like, this I can get behind. Um, but I just didn't want to be in school. I didn't want to pay for school. I didn't want to study. I just wanted to like be in the field and work um, and live abroad. So I ended up passing on that opportunity mainly because of the school component. And I didn't know how the certificate would benefit, benefit me professionally. But I didn't realize that I had never really gotten rid of the desire to live overseas. Um, so I I was working in California, um, moved to Oregon for a little bit. I was in a relationship. And once that relationship dissolved, then I decided like, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go out the country. So then I was trying to figure out like, what is the best way to do it? So I circled back to that England um, role and it wasn't, um, they didn't have the program anymore. And so I just started looking up like just different ways to get abroad, to live abroad. And so I decided to move to Spain to learn Spanish. Um, well, actually, so before I get there, so I was working in Oregon and there were two bilingual social workers, therapists um, there. And I somehow found out how much money they made. And so I said, <laughs> oh, well, I'll just go to Spain. I will become bilingual and then I'll come back to this job because I really love that job. And I said, I'll come back to this job and then you'll just pay me what you're paying them. And so my, <laughs> my company went for it. They're like, OK, we'll keep your position open for a year. You know, go ahead, go to Spain, learn, pick up the language and then, you know, come back. That's crazy. OK, so now let's let's fast forward in this journey where you, you leave that. Right. You're like, All right. I'm done with this. And how do you actually become an international psychologist? How do you were able to develop a practice overseas? Yeah, so you, the funny thing is, like, I actually, I knew that I always wanted to be a psychologist. And when I say that, I mean, in terms of therapy, in mm. terms of, like, wanting to provide um, therapeutic help. As I went through school, I realized that there's different avenues, different degrees that you can get in order to, to do that. Um, I actually never wanted my doctorate degree, um, never wanted a doctorate degree because I didn't want to have to do the work that you needed to do <laughs> to get one, but primarily the dissertation. But um, so when I was living in England, um, so I ended up transitioning. So after I learned Spanish, I ended up transitioning back into being a professional overseas. So um, I just to kind of backtrack just a little bit, I started looking up. Uh, LCSW, which is Licensed Clinical Social Work. Um, so that's how I was able to do therapy um, overseas. So I started looking up LCSW uh, positions abroad. That's what landed me in England because I got a um, U.S. government contracted position um, in England. And so I was able to practice um, as a government contractor. While I was there, I was looking up um, just different programs in general. And my school, the Chicago School of Professional Psychology popped up. And it's the only program that has an international psychology degree. And so that's what my doctorate is in. And so um, the only reason I got a doctorate degree is because it seemed like just studying that component seems so interesting as opposed to like neuropsychology or child psychology, because I just felt like I could have done that at a master's level. Um, so part of the reason why I was really interested in getting my degree in international psychology is because after living abroad, I realized that the way that um, America or westernized society handle mental health and the way that other cultures do it is completely different. And so if I'm not mistaken, I don't want to throw out the wrong numbers, but I know that America makes up a small percentage. I want to say it's in the single di digits. My mind wants to say 5%, but it makes up a small percentage of the overall world population. But a lot of times there's this expectation that the way that westernized cultures handle mental health and psychology is the way that it should be covered across the um, across the board. So me living in England and in Spain at that point, I know that people use shaman. I know that people use spiritual practices, like uh, just cultural you know, practices. And it just didn't seem fair to only practice psychology in one specific way. So that's what led me to going into getting a doctorate degree in international psychology. Um, so kind of going back to um, my time at Semester at Sea, 
when I was on the ship, so when we were on the ship, we would study. Um, we would study kind of the next port that we would go into. And then when we were when we were in the country, we would do actual kind of field placement. So in Vietnam, I saw how psychology was um, handled in India and all of these different places. And it was just so different. Wow. And so um, fast forward back to England, when I decided to, to um, pursue international psychology, it was to be able to merge that experience that I had back in undergrad with now my world, real world experience with being a therapist and figuring out how can I, um, how can I uh, be culturally sensitive to like, if I'm, if I'm, helping people from different cultures how can i be culturally sensitive and not only speak to them from a, a westernized psychological perspective wow um that's i mean I, sorry go ahead oh so i was just i was going to get to your question because you said how did i get to um <laughs> doing it but from, i do want to like, say something <laughs> before you get to that so yeah because you said a lot of great great uh, a lot of golden nuggets there um you mentioned how you you want to do the international psychology because you didn't mm-hmm. want to be, you know, kind of like shoehorned into this in this thinking of like, well, I went to school for this, you know, Western Westernized school, right. so that means this must be the way, and therefore I can't help you because unless you do it my way, then <laughs> good luck. <laughs> right. And right. I think that's and so cool that that you had that perspective. And again, because obviously we all have our own biases, right? That's always apparent, no matter right. how where we, how we walk in this world and our own positionality. But the fact that you were so self aware, like, wait a minute, if I'm actually going to help people and I want to be abroad, right. I can't do it from that way. I can't do it from that way. Exactly. Lens. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, but no, go, go ahead. So in terms of my, in, in terms of being able to do it under my own practice, um, it was just wanting to venture out into, um, I, I just know what it's like to be an expat. I know, like I, I spoke about being an au pair, I know what it's like to not have money, being a professional and not have money, like just because I decided to leave my home country. Um, and so I remember um, just reading some of the group chats or like, you know, some of the expat groups that I'm in where I saw a lot of people wanting therapy, but in America, you can charge, like, you know, therapists have very lucrative salaries and that's fine. I I definitely believe that you should be paid your worth and be paid, um, you know, for your expertise in your trade. But I just feel like there's a different dynamic that has to be considered when you are um, helping different populations. And so I know that the person that I was in Spain who gave up my salary to work, you know, for 40 euros um, a week, wouldn't be able to afford the the salary or wouldn't be able to afford the prices of, um, you know, westernized, um, you know, medicine, mm-hmm. if you will, or westernized psychology. Right. So when I started seeing that, I'm like, well, I want to open my private practice. I want to um, really be able to almost like target this population to be able to to allow what they need to be accessible. Um, and so that's kind of what spearheaded it. It's just like remembering where I was when I was in that place, remembering some of the challenges that I went through, remembering, you know, feeling like um, I'm a fish out of water, but also this is something that I chose to do, something, you know, a desire that I had. I remember being overseas and, you know, calling people at home and they felt like I couldn't have a bad day because like you're living the dream, you're living in Madrid. And so like, whatever you feel like you're going through, you're probably not because you know, you, you get to live this mm. um, particular that can be very isolating when, you know, when people don't understand it. And so I just having lived preach, that experience, preach. <laughs> <laughs> having lived that experience, I wanted to be, um, you know, helpful for people who were still living that experience and, you know, and wanted that and needed that additional support. That's amazing. And you obviously, you see people in person and virtually? No. So I still am a government contractor. Okay. And so um, in person for that. And then I see people virtually um, for my private practice. And there are, I do have actually some clients, um, here in Japan that if they wanted to meet up personally, we definitely could. It would just be more, uh, uh, it's hard to maintain confidentiality because I don't have like a physical office space, um, outside of like what I do for my government contract work. Mm. Um, so for that reason, I mainly see people in my private practice virtually. And because I also have clients, um, you know, in Europe, in Africa, some in America. And so, virtual you know obviously 
reaches a larger population. You're literally helping people around the world, Landy. How does that feel? (laughs) It feels surreal, to be honest. Um, And that's what, like, funny, I don't know what was recorded or what. Oh, yeah, I think we did say it on here. Like, when when it's Thursday for you, but Friday for me. Right, right. there's always this component of like, oh, like, let me make sure that I'm in the right day, you know, for this client to be <laughs> here and available. Um, but it feels surreal because I don't think that seven-year-old Londi, when she went and told the principal on her best friend that she thought that it would reach, you know, um, this magnitude. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other I did want to be outside of a psychologist, so this is my pre-that, my, like, very childhood uh, dream was the astronaut. And so... When I, um, and really just because I wanted to do anti-gravity backflips in space all day, like not <laughs> outside of that. Um, but when I think about it and just kind of juxtapo- juxtapose those two professions together, it's like young Wandy knew that I wanted to do something kind of out of this world or, you know, out of the mm. norm. Um, but I also knew that I wanted to help people. And so it's very interesting. Like, obviously, no, I'm not an astronaut. No, I'm not living in space. But the way that I practice psychology, the way that I'm able to help the population is still something that's really like coloring outside the lines, if you will. It's not something that's the norm, you know. Um, and so it's almost like a merge of those two uh, childhood desires. Absolutely. I mean, you are moving in between time and space. So it's kind of like you're in space a lot. <laughs> Right, right. Go ahead, man. <laughs> yeah, that's actually true. All right, so let's let's get to the nitty gritty of this because I I I I was so excited when when uh when you responded that you wanted to be on because I have recently um I did therapy for the first time when I lived abroad, so I okay. never thought about doing therapy until I was abroad. I'm like, wow, like you said, so I said preach because. This thing, this 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 experience that we have, right, can be very isolating. And of course, when you live in places that people dream of going to, such as Japan or Spain, and in my case, Costa Rica, they're like, "What could you really? What could you really be going through? Right? What what problems could you actually be happening? You know, happening right. to you that 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 you can't just go to the beach and resolve that or resolve on its own, right? So you could do all these things, but people are not actually understanding." Unless you've actually lived it like yourself or others that I've interviewed, that you know right. how the, what this could actually mean for someone. So I actually started mm-hmm. seeing um, a, a woman, uh, a woman. Shout out to Doctora Campos, uh, who's still my therapist. We do virtual sessions, and I never. Right. And funny enough, I, I said this on my other podcast. If I tell you, I wasn't actually trying to find a therapist. I wanted to find someone to prescribe me Xanax. So I can fly because mm-hmm. I'm actually have a fear of flying, but I love traveling. Go figure. Um, uh-huh. So, and she's like, "Well, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm a psychologist." I'm like, "What's the difference?" <laughs> she's uh-huh. like, "Right." She's like, "I can't prescribe you this, but we could talk about things." I'm like, "All right." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then that's how that happened. So I guess I'm, I'm saying all this to say um, I'm a big proponent of therapy and. I want to hear from obviously your lens because I don't want to talk about psychology in, in general, but I want to go a little more micro to talk about what it's like to to talk to people and treat people that are living abroad in the international realm. What do you see from your patients and your clients in terms of some struggles that they go through? Um, so I'll, I will kind of speak in, um, in groups, if you will. Mm, yeah. So when I couples... Um, a lot of times the couples that I am treating are intercultural couples. Um, and so I might have one from their home country and then they married someone in their host country. Mm. Um, and that is like these cultural differences. How do, um, you know, in, in Africa, this is what is considered the norm for this gender role. Um, whereas in America, this isn't. And so how do I honor my partner's, um, culture as well as, you know, my own culture who I developed as, um, over time, how, you know, how do we merge these two values and still be very sensitive to like one another's cultures? Because what I do see with intercultural relationships is there is that sensitivity, like this is my partner, this is a person that I love, so I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but where is the balance between honoring them and honoring myself as well? And so I see that quite frequently on the flip side, um, say, for example, if a couple is already married um, or if, if a couple meets in one country, so they meet, meet in the host country and then um, an individual decides to go back to their home country and then now the um, 
the person that they met in the host country, they want to come back, you know, as well, and they get married. Uh, that in the psychology realm is called like the trailing spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is this like component of identity loss, and so like you know, in my in my um, you know home country, this was these were my degrees, and this is my level of education, and now it's not translating to this new country that I'm in, and there's a little bit of resentment that's coming up. And how do I not resent my partner because this was a willing choice, but also now I don't feel like I can contribute to the household in the way that I would have been able to had I, had we stayed in our um, home, uh, in my home country, or yeah, in my home country. Um, and then when you involve children, it is a lot of the parenting dynamics of this part of my culture is really important and it absolutely contradicts your part of um, your culture. So how do we raise children that honor both of their cultures when it's something that I might, you know, disagree with? So I see a lot of that um, when I speak to couples, when I speak to individuals, it's a lot of what we've already, you know, talked about this. um, What is the word? Toxic positivity Hmm. of this feeling like (laughs) I should be, um, you know, I should be happy that I get to live this lifestyle. Um, yeah, I'm still dealing with depression. I'm still dealing with anxiety. I'm still dealing with life, essentially. Um, so it is that. It is balancing an identity. Um, so one of the things that I went through and um, I, uh, some of my clients have gone through it as well is being so proud of yourself for being able to establish a life overseas, but then also having this guilt of, I left my family behind. Or like, you know, Mm. I'm living this lifestyle. Maybe my friends are not living the same lifestyle. Uh, Some of my family might be struggling, you know, differently or whatever the case is. Um, I don't get to go to the graduations. I miss, you know, the different things. So it is this happiness of like, I'm proud of myself. I've made it. And I know um, that I wouldn't have this lifestyle back in the States, but um, it comes at a cost of not being there for my family in the way that I would be if I, you know, if I still lived there. So balancing those two, like, you know, mix of emotions as right, well. has right. been. Something. Wow. That's, I mean, that's a lot to process. But like the one thing I got from the couples part is like culture. I mean, that's just like you said, yeah. Yeah. is right. such a huge thing because again, that happens so often. Right. And I, and expat, especially, you know, when you're living abroad for a, a period of time, you might meet someone that is, like I said, from, from the country, so a local, and then you said mm-hmm. you might move with that person. So then you have the trailing spouse thing happening, right? And then you mm-hmm. have third culture kids, right? A kid from another culture growing up, right. another culture from a parent from another culture. Exactly. So, <laughs> exactly. so these things are so uh, dynamic and so <laughs> deep. And, man, I don't know how you, how you peel those layers of that onion. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> Yeah. So at the heart of it really is, um, so this is where I can go back into just the general training of my, um, therapy. And so this is why I feel like it's, it's nice to know the culture, some of the implications, but then there is a basis of, um, just dealing with people in general. And so people have values. And so once you understand just like what's at the heart of that matter. So yeah, we can be talking about culture, but underneath it, I hear, um, that you, um, what I hear is acceptance or what I hear is rejection or what I, and so then I can speak to those things um, because those kind of values are universal. Like Mm. people want to be accepted. People want to be loved. People want to be um, honored, you know, in that way. And so sometimes we, it can be mass with my culture is really important. This, you know, A, B, C, and D. And so when, um, when that doesn't translate into each of those kind of like cultural languages, then I can speak that universal. Okay, so what I hear you say is you feel disrespected or what I hear you say is like you're feeling overlooked or disregarded or whatever the case is. And that normally is the glue that allows me to talk to both on the on the equal playing field. Mm. Oh, I love how you did that. Hey, you took it from the micro to the macro. Like, wait, listen, these are human <laughs> issues. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. Everyone exactly. wants to be accepted. Yeah. Everyone wants to be loved. Everyone wants to be exactly. seen. <laughs> Exactly. So it's so really in international psychology, it is um, it's almost a dance. It's going back and forth between that micro and that macro. Um, And it's just and I I do it kind of as a situation calls for it. Mm -hmm. Man, that's that's so powerful. And I mean, so one thing that I always because I obviously I'm a teacher. So I deal with people that are guidance counselors and I always ask, you know, guidance counselors like, do you guys have to go to therapy? And they told me that they do have to go to therapy like when they're doing the, I guess, the, you know, learning about psychology and, and all those things. Mm-hmm. What have you learned um, 
Actually, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that question for later. That's a good ending question. But anyway, <laughs> I have something else. So okay, so you okay. you dealt you dealt with couples, you dealt with obviously in single individuals, and you mentioned you know these different trends that you might see. But now take it from your perspective uh-huh. of you and your identity as a black woman abroad, which again is also mm-hmm. not the norm, as I'm sure you you've seen all across right. in your travels. What is that right. dynamic at play? Here's this, you, this professional, Dr. Londi, and you're dealing mm-hmm. with people of different cultures. How do you think you're mm-hmm. perceived? How do you, how does that dynamic you think is at play when you're seeing someone that you might might be used to abroad in this particular field? So I think what I found is um, it almost. I mean, I guess I wouldn't know who it repels because they wouldn't come to me. Um, but at least from it, my experience, like in sessions or even in some of my consultation calls, I feel like it's um, an attracting factor because it is like the people that I see are what I guess societally we would consider anomalies. We would consider like, OK, I am the one from my home country that moved abroad to do this to do this thing. Like I'm the only one in my family who did it or, you know, like whatever the case is. So then when they find someone else of a diverse background, like what you're saying, like you don't really see like too many, um, you know, you do see a lot of black women abroad, but like in terms of like, um, private practice doing international psychology, you know, like that kind of thing in Japan, just different things like that. It's almost like this connecting point of you've done something very different. I'm doing something very different. And so, you know, how can you help support me in that way? Um, and then I have had a lot of, um, I have had a lot of, uh, black women clients or black women clients and their partners. Um, and so it's almost just like, okay, I know this therapist It's like representation, like this therapist will understand mm. and will be able to you know, sift through my feelings, convey this to, to others. Um, so I, I would say that in my experience, just based on what I know, or, you know, based on what's shown up in my private practice, it's, it, a lot of, a lot of times has been the attracting factor, but I don't know the people who have been on my website and like, ugh, black, you know, like I'm not going, you know? um, Right, right. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's so interesting. Like you said, it's like, yeah, like you, we both are doing something very different. So it makes sense why I would want you to help us with this situation. Because again, not only you are also abroad, right? it's not like you're right, from the right. country that you're in. So it's like, who better than, than Londi to understand the situation? Exactly. <laughs> that, exactly. that makes sense. That makes sense. Exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and I think that um, it would be really hard. Like, so now I'm thinking about myself as an expat. It would be really difficult for me to go to an expat therapist, an international psychologist who hasn't lived that shared experience, because like I would either have to explain everything to them or, you know, just like what we were talking about, um, that toxic positive positivity they would be so enamored with like oh but you get to be in japan and england and all these things like you know and try to counteract that with what i might be going through and so i think that that um is necessary you know to 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 in order to help expats to have been at least an expat before Mm -hmm. powerful stuff there landi and i'm trying to think back to like sessions that i have because i have the therapist and i i've seen her for the past Three years since I've been abroad. Now, now I'm I, I'm back in New York, and I've had a couple of sessions with her being in New York. And so, yeah. have you had sessions with clients after they leave a country, like when you when you might done a virtual session or or in person or whatever the case may be, and then they actually yeah. moved? Yeah, and they went back to their home country. Right, you mean? right, right. Moved? Yeah, you got, went back to their home country. Yeah, like. Yeah, that reintegration yes, phase. Yes, 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 yes. So talk about yeah. that. Talk about, because I mean, what better person to ask about culture shock than you, Londi? So t- <laughs> right. Right. Know that reverse culture shock, especially depending on why you decide to move back to your home country, because it could just be because the time is up, because you don't have the resources or the finances for it. It could be for love. It could be for a number of reasons. But I found that depending on what the reason is, that you're going back to your home country, a lot of times that dictates the emotions that you might have related to it as well. Um, And so um, it is that balancing act because we don't realize that we have changed until we go back into this home environment that either has changed or that hasn't changed. And now we feel like, you know, a fish out of water in our own, you know, kind of home country. And so I try to, so the way that I help individuals is I try to, um, 
so two things, two things can be true. So you can sit in those emotions and feel them because that is needed. Um, you want to acknowledge it and not avoid those feelings. But there is a way to also hold on to um, some of the things that you learned in your um, learned or valued in your um, host country. And so if there is like different expat groups. Um, so say, for example, I'll just use me. So if I were to go back to America and I was really established in Spain, um, I might go back to America and look for um, like different Span Spanish uh, language exchanges or like, you know, group meetups and um, in order to kind of maintain the the cultural identity that I might have identified with when I was in Spain and bring that to um, America. Cause it also is really difficult when you go back to your family and you're that person like, Oh, in Spain, I used to do this in Spain. This is what they do in Spain and Spain, Spain. I'm that person. Um, I'm that person. I'm, I'm always talking about Costa Rica. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But if you had a Costa Rican friend um, and you brought that up, then there's like a, a different dynamic of mm. like, Oh, this person gets it. And also I'm not being, um, uh, I don't want to say inconsiderate. That's not the word I'm thinking about, but like, I'm not like over talking about it and because mm -hmm. it's a real feeling. Like if I miss it or I really enjoyed it, or this is the comparison, the point of reference that I have, it's fair to be able to express that, but people can get tired of that if they don't also have that point of reach. So, oh my goodness. Landy is you're saying so many things that I resonate with. Sorry. Oh <laughs> uh, no, you're fine. You're fine. Um, so I think what I was saying is that um, so when I do help people who are going through that reverse culture shock, it is the balancing act of um, essentially reintegrating, but holding on to the things that they really enjoyed and adored about the, the host country that they're coming from. Right. I mean, man, you, you said so many. I mean, again, complete resonates with my experience here. Where I sometimes, you know, I mean, my friends make fun of me for it. But then I often wonder, yo, am I talking too much about Costa Rica? Like, and I'm just, uh -huh. and I have an apartment where I have pictures that I that I've took of Costa Rica, like, around my apartment. And I feel like I'm yeah. recreating Costa Rica in my apartment. But now I'm trying to think back to what you're talking about. And let's, let's go even more granular here. What's going on in the psychology uh -huh. of someone when they do go back to their home culture? In this case, for me, the United States. What is going on with someone when yeah. they go back to their home culture and they're trying to integrate or they're trying to stay with the things that they experience back in the host country? What's actually happening psychologically? Well, psychologically, like when we're exposed to more, that then becomes our baseline. So we're accustomed to it. So I don't even think it's something like we are... Um, what is the word? Um, it, it's not anything like in terms of imposter syndrome or like, you know, I'm trying to be someone that I'm not, or I'm not, that I'm like not wanting to let go of or avoiding coming back, but it is this, um, attachment, if you will. Like, so in psychology, we talk about, um, you know, the different types of attachments, but it, it becomes in so many ways, a part of your identity, um, that it would be just like, so I am a, I'm the youngest of five. Um, I grew up in California. Um, I'm very, I consider myself to be like a very kind of like independent person. I'm a psychologist. So to strip any of those things away is, is unrealistic. So when I became a psychologist, it's not like I no longer was the youngest of five. When I became, mm. like when I moved to, like I no longer am from California. So it's just building, you know, it's adding to my resume. So when I come back to California, when I moved back to America, to ask me now to deny the experiences that I had over the last 10 years, like this is now a part of me. And so um, when you ask like what's going on psychologically, it is a reformed kind of identity, if you will. And so you're trying to figure out where you fit in this new environment because I, I was just in America. I was just home last week, actually. Um, and it was like, everything was the same, but like there was just so much that was different. I'm like, am I different? Or are, you know, is my environment different? <laughs> and is, so what's going on psychologically is like just trying to make sense of all of that. Like what has changed? Where does this fit? Where, you know, who do I connect with on what level? How, you know, that kind of. Wow. Wow. Just powerful, powerful stuff. I might have to have you be <laughs> my psychologist. I'm like, wow, she's saying everything that I'm going through. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Because How long have you been back? Um, I've been back. Is what we're in October, so th I got back uh, late July, so August, the three months, three basically two and a half. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. okay. 
Yeah. So, you know, it, it's it's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of days. People listening like, yo, Angel, this is not a session about you, but. <laughs> but naturally for me, like, and obviously I want to let you lead this, but naturally for me as a psychologist, I want to be like, and tell me more. And like, right, right. <laughs> No, this is great, though. This is great. This is why I love free-flowing conversations. This is why I love the style that that I get to do with my guests. But no, I mean, it's it's things that you're, everything you're saying is things that I'm going through now. And I honestly, yeah. every day is like, uh, uh, I have to evaluate. I have to think about. I have to, okay, what's happening now? Like, how am I adjusting? Like, I think about those things all the time. Like, am I just going yeah. through the motions? Am I am I fully adjusted? Do I feel again like a New Yorker? Do I feel like you said? Do I have yeah. this other part of my identity as you know, feeling a part of Costa Rica? I'm going back to Costa Rica in January. I'm super excited, like super excited. That I'm going back, and just all these yeah. things. And in personal relationships, you know, I think about those dynamics of the people that I love and care about, and then right. what I've experienced, and that again, they don't have that experience. So they can't right. possibly understand. But do they right. have do they have that empathy? Do they do they try to understand, right? right? So it's right. all these things that is constantly going through my mind in this adjustment right. process. But one thing that I've learned from my uh therapist is, and I'm sure this is something you may, might tell your clients, is you gotta be kind to yourself, right? You gotta mm-hmm. understand that things take time and you have to give yourself time. Whatever that time yeah. is, you gotta you have to understand that it is a process. Like you said, that is happening right. psych- psychologically and in the environment mm-hmm. that you're in, um, in terms yeah. of the adjustment period. So it's um yeah, yeah no, it's, it's a lot, but it's something that I do appreciate in talk, talking to you and just talking to general to people that are professionals in this field. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, to to add on to what your you know therapist, what you just said and what your therapist says is also to recognize that the process itself is not linear. Mm. And so when you say to give yourself grace, it's important to know, like, just because for the past, you know, two months, you've been able to effectively navigate this area. If you have what we would consider a relapse and you're now having a really difficult time, a lot of times we'll hold ourselves accountable and say, like, well, for the past two months, I've been fine. Like, why is this coming, you know, out of nowhere, whatever the case is? And, And we might think that we've regressed, but just recognizing that that, too, is also a part of the um, reacclimation phase and it's not so much um, from one to two to three it can be from one to seven now I'm back at two now I'm at five and you know just progress isn't linear in that regard right 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 this this journey this journey there's ups and downs right and peaks and valleys yeah yeah <laughs> oh my goodness this, For- is, this is amazing Lana, I can't believe time flies so fast I can't believe we're gonna get to the last part of the podcast I would respect the time that we put on so this is the last step of the podcast Lana Lightning round uh, segment. Ask you a question. First thing that comes to your mind, one word. You ready? Okay, sure. Okay. Number one lesson that you have learned from living abroad? Um, probably exactly what we were just talking um, about, to give myself grace. Hmm. Um, do you want me to expound or just Yeah, you can, of... you, can, you can expound. So grace, okay. go ahead. You can expound that a little bit. Okay. So I was going to say to give myself grace. So I think a lot of times... Um, with each transition, sometimes I feel like, oh, I know I, I, I moved from America to Spain. So when I moved to England, it's like, OK, so I know what transition looks like. I know what to expect. Um, and then when it doesn't happen in that way, I'm like, you're a therapist. You should know this. You've done this move however many times you've lived abroad for almost 10 years. Like, you know, why are you experiencing that? Um, but it is to give myself grace for each environment and then to not hold myself accountable not hold my past self accountable to my present knowledge mm, mm, that's powerful um what's the what's been your favorite experience so far abroad like location um i would say japan surprisingly um it's a toss-up between spain and japan but you said go with your first mind yeah, so the reason yeah. why i say because i was in different periods and stages of my career in each place um, so Spain was obviously my first kind of like move abroad. And like we talked about, I wasn't making a lot of money. Um, the, what I like about Japan is I have a very different and comfortable lifestyle based on some of the sacrifices that I've made before. Um, and so now I finally feel like I'm living the abroad experience that I envisioned kind of 10 years ago. Um, and so this has been the most fun. Mm-hmm. What do you miss most about America, about the United States? My family. 
My family, for sure, my family. Um, I am a very, like, my family is just super close-knit, and, um, like, I'm really close with all of my siblings, really close with my parents, and so just not having the, like, okay, I'm going to go over to, you know, mom's house or, you know, grandma's house for whatever holiday, um, that, I think, is the most difficult. I have two newer nieces and nephews, and just not being around to kind of, like, watch them grow uh, grow up, that's difficult. Um, so it's not really much of the amenities, the food, like, you know, anything like that. It really is the connections. Hmm. Uh, biggest misconception people have about therapists or psychologists? Um, that, oh, that's a good one. <laughs> biggest misconception. I think one that I saw recently is that we um, judge people. Like, you know, the, the comment that I saw was like, um, I want to tell my therapist everything, but I feel like that, you know, I feel that they will judge me. Um, so part of our job is not to, obviously, is to not judge, but there is a level of um, kind of assessments, you know, that we have to make. And so that comes from a place of judgment, if you will. Um, we have to judge the situation, judge, you know, where you are in the process to see, um, you know, if we if we can help and how we can help. And so um, I think that that's the biggest misconception is, um, you know, that we judge or that we just have all the answers, like, you know, right, you know, right up front. Um, and that's definitely not always the case either. Oh, man, I'm, I, I'm guilty of that. I'm thinking about <laughs> What'd you say? I'm guilty of that. I'm thinking about, I'm like, she's asking me a question. I'm like, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> right. Right. And, and the part of the reason why we're at, we're the ones asking you all the questions, because I really do feel that our clients, the clients are the subject matter expert. Um, because think about um, you going to maybe your best friend who you've been friends with for 10, 15 years. They probably have way more insight than I, as your psychologist, who's just met you um, and, you know, work with you for a month or two months, you know, no. And so the reason I have to ask these questions is because, like, I don't know you as well as you know yourself. or I don't know you as well as your best friend may know you. So what we're doing, we're just picking up on patterns and we're trying to understand, like, oh, your thinking style is this. Um, and so, no, we don't have the answers. We're just able to assess really fast. And so based on how you answer that question gives us the answer on like what the answer might really be. That's so interesting. And then you mentioned the whole thing about the judging thing because when I'm talking to my therapist and she writes in her notebook, I'm like, what did I say? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Is sometimes it's just a note to like, okay, I need to remember to circle back and ask him this. But I, always, at least with my clients, I always say like, if you ever want to see what I'm j jotting down, like, you know, I can show you at the session. Because it could be like, oh, like, did I say something bad? Is this, you know, like, is this going into my diagnosis or, you know, whatever the case is. So, yeah, definitely. So I interesting. So interesting. All right, final, final question. You can answer however you want to. For those that are listening, okay. whether they've seen a therapist or not, or living abroad and experiencing some of the struggles that I'm, you know, that that are you've seen in in your clients, what would you say is one thing that people could do right now, today, in order to improve their their life and their you know their thinking, um, whether they're abroad or not? Just just a, um, just your general thoughts on on improvement, how you can help them, Londi. So if I just had to go across the board, I would say journaling. Um, journaling to me is like always a good first step because it allows for some um, introspection and some self-awareness. And so if they don't know where to start, if they don't know what it is that they're feeling, journaling for a week, even if you don't know what to journal, if you go back in at the end of the week and read those seven entries, you will likely see a theme of what it is that is bothering you, what it is that's on your mind, and then that would be the focus. Um, so I would say like doing some type of um, either journaling, isolated meditation um, as well. A lot of times we feel really overwhelmed or um, you know anxious because life is a lot once you start introducing um, like technology and um, just kind of like all of the new age things. And so just taking some time to meditate and, and be quiet um, and to sit with yourself and to see what it is that you really want, really need. Because I do believe that our bodies speak to us um, and they tell us stuff if we um, take time to listen. So I would say that those would be the first step. And then, you know, to reach out to a therapist, um, you know, see whether it's through your insurance, um, whether it's, uh, I know for black girls, there's therapy for black girls. Um, dot com, like just seeking, seeking out stuff in your area, um, you know, to find a therapist can be the first step as well.
I hope you enjoyed the episode with Landy. I most definitely did. Um, it's just so cool talking to someone that's a psychologist that's that's practicing, you know, ab- abroad, right? I think that's um, obviously a first for this podcast, but you know, you don't. I don't really hear too much about that, so it's just really cool to hear from her lens on the other side, especially as someone that has, again has gone to therapy and still goes to uh, to therapy virtually, obviously with my uh, therapist that's living in Costa Rica. Um, as you heard, right, there's things that people go through. Uh, there's trends that pe- that she no- she has noticed that people go through while living abroad, right? Whether you're into whether you're in an intercultural relationship with someone, trying to manage that, whether. Uh, you're in a culture that's foreign to you, but you're trying to integrate yourself into that culture, and that might be difficult. Obviously, the waves of culture shock that people go through, the honeymoon phase, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's it's so, because again, it's easy for me to say because I've experienced it, but I think she brings it home, right, being that she's the professional in this, right? <laughs> she's the one that, that has studied this in an international lens, from an international lens, excuse me. And I think it's just such an important thing. And then again, going back to her childhood story, with her friend i mean that's just wow you know that just that really took me aback in terms of like how that started for her at such a young age and she has just helped people throughout her life and one thing i really want to hit home on is the fact of you know the reintegration the reverse culture shock that people go through while they're back in the states again if you haven't lived abroad you wouldn't be able to understand what people go through when they live somewhere especially you know for a number of years and then have to reintegrate into the culture that they're from Right. In my case, obviously, New York, Costa Rica, but this happens to everybody. This is not unique to me. This happens to a lot of people. And I think what I take away from it and in terms of I think you could take away from it, especially living abroad in general, is that, you know, this stuff is, you know, it's it's not linear. Right. There's going to be ups and downs, peaks and valleys. You might regress right a little bit. So you got to be you got to be kind to yourself and understand that it's not a linear process for growth. I think that's probably my biggest takeaway um, from this conversation with Londi. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Londi. Um, so yeah, um, I know it's been a while since I've released an episode. The last episode was released the 2nd of October. It's going to be a month, obviously, since when this goes up. And some of you listening might, might already know this if you follow me on my personal Instagram or know me personally. But sadly, um, my grandmother passed away a few weeks ago wrestled with even saying this on the podcast but you know i want to be transparent in terms of like because people have hit me up like hey are you doing it still you're not doing it so i just want to be transparent in terms of um what i've been going through personally and yeah so obviously processing that still processing that and going through that and just you know life in general right so you know i'm still trying to do it (laughs) this episode i recorded this episode like a month ago you know so it's just taking me a while to get back into it um, you know, kind of muscle up the energy again. So, you know, edit and record and, you know, do the all, do all the other things that it takes with um, the podcast. But yeah, I'm still doing it. Still trying to go strong, but obviously, you know, family comes first uh, always. Um, so yeah, um, I hope to release the episode, hopefully again um, in a more consistent pattern, but uh, we'll see. Um, as always, if you like what you hear, please leave a review on the podcast. Follow me on Spotify and any of your other streaming platforms. See you next time. This is A Living Color Abroad. Peace.